My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Coming to you from my new home base at the New York Stock Exchange. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Well, here we are. The New York Stock Exchange. It's dazzling. I love it. But let me tell you point blank. We're not changing a thing around here, except we'll have better access to some guests. Again, nothing has changed with the substance of the show, such as it is. We just have terrific new tools that help us tell stories better for you. Consider it a more accessible, beautiful classroom. So thanks to all of the myriad people who made it work. Thanks to Mark Hoppen. He's the chairman of CBC. Thanks to Regina Gilgit, who's our executive producer. Thanks to Cliff Basin. He's our head writer and only writer who's been with us since the beginning. Now let's talk stocks. Actually more. Today we were looking good until we heard Apple slow in the pace of its hiring, which caused a wholesale rush to the exits. The Dow sinking 216 points, the S&P slipping 0.84%, NASDAQ losing 0.81%. This kind of hiring thing that Apple's doing is always viewed negatively in the tech world, even though Wall Street's desperate to see less hiring. Why? Because it means the Fed's winning its fight against inflation, and that's what this market's all about. Of course, part of this pullback is because we had huge gains on Friday, and we were due for some weakness. In this environment, it's always going to be fragile on the upside and easy on the downside. Because the bears, they got an upper hand. Just keep in mind, you should never buy this market when it's up. That's a fool's game. I want you to wait for weakness like we had today before you ever pull the trigger. If you're thinking about buying something that's about to report, why not wait until you hear what they have to say? Just look at what happened to the formerly strong IBM, one of the most, one of the best performing stocks in the Dow, after the close. It got completely sell, 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 sell. If you bought ahead of the quarter, you rolled the dice in a casino that's not friendly to blind dice rolling. And make no mistake, before the Apple chatter, today was good. Hey, make that great. And then suddenly, ugly. All the way to the close. This morning, Goldman Sachs reported a great number that came out of nowhere. Frankly, I was blown away. All divisions doing well, especially trading. Goldman is a cheap stock with a great yield, and I think it's a buy. More on that later. This is just the latest bank to report a much better than expected quarter, following on the heels of Citi. But did you see that quarter? It was great. Wells Fargo, yes, thank you, Charlie Sharp, for doing a good job. And Morgan Stanley, James Gorman, always doing a good job. The banks now represent a tremendous leadership group in this market. Of course, Bank of America also reported a good set of numbers. This was its usual consistent quarter, but it could only muster a yawn. I think the Eternals were terrific. And I got to tell you, the leverage of the Fed raising rates is superb. It's about like a billion bucks per three quarters of a point. Stock deserved more love than it got today. But with all that good and somewhat, it, when it comes to Apple, bad news out of the way, let's go to our game plan for the rest of the week. And this is what I'm talking about with this new set, how great this is. You know what? I even look thinner. Well, no, I actually, they have me wearing some sort of girdle. It makes me look thinner. I'll take it off as soon as the show's over. All right, well, first... Tomorrow morning, we're going to see a new transition quarter from Johnson & Johnson. 
is the company is breaking itself up into a slower growth consumer products business and a higher growth pharma and medical device business. I expect good numbers even in the interim. Well, this drug stock has fallen behind its cohort. And by the way, the whole cohort just got completely annihilated today. I bet it can play catch up. That's one reason we own it for the charitable trust, which, of course, you can follow along by joining the CNBC Investing Club. Hey, speaking of the Investing Club, we also hear from Halliburton. Yes, the oil service titan. Halliburton's earnings are soaring, yet its stock has been crushed. It's down eight straight points. I think it's time to reassess this one and recognize that the earnings could be huge for uh, Halliburton, not tomorrow, but for years to come. Also on Tuesday, there's Lockheed Martin. Now, this should be the moment in their sun, right? Why? Because the West is rearming. But the stock peaked 70 points ago. Hey, maybe it can reignite. Then again, there were some very big sellers all day. Did they know something? We'll find out soon enough. Oh, after the close, we hear from a fallen star, Netflix. In the last quarter was, frankly, I struggled for a word. How about incoherent? I expect a much more thoughtful call with commentary about their new deal with Microsoft to offer an ad-supported track. For the longest time, Netflix told us there was still plenty of growth left in streaming. Now the field is crowded with competition, and the growth seems to be evaporating. Call me not optimistic. Now, Wednesday, we get the results. Yeah, I mean, rimshot from Abbott Labs. Now, this is one of the most erratic companies because of its volatile COVID testing business. Now, that's going to run out someday, but in the interim, it's terrific. How many times did you test this weekend? I like to test like every three or four hours these days. That said, Wall Street doesn't like a business. That's almost not an exaggeration. Wall Street is not like a business that might not be around in 12 months, and that is probably what's going to happen. After the close, we have the most important quarter of the weekend. Obviously, that's Tesla. Now, the estimates are all over the place. There are a huge number of sell ratings and as many buy ratings. Musk is still expanding like mad. And his jokes about, he jokes about how funny it, it, it is to, to burn money, uh, put it in a chimney, a furnace. Still, if Tesla can exceed even the lowest estimates, the stock goes much higher. Thursday, big, big, big. We start with ATT, which usually puts up decent numbers, but no better than that. And I find it's boring, and I don't want you to own it. Then we have two good reads on the Fed's war against inflation. We got Freeport, Freeport McMoran, that's the giant copper miner, and Dow, the chemical company. Plastics and copper are directly tied to economic growth. So these companies can tell us a great deal about the situation. Now, the market has turned against a series of industries, with the latest being the rails and the home builders. My favorite railroad, Union Pacific, reports Thursday morning, and I'm very worried about a deceleration in their business. Hey, same goes for D.R. Horton, the giant home builder. Listen on that call for cancellations, and that's what I'm most worried about. Home deals aren't closing. Home confidence down huge. Soaring mortgage rates tend to do that. After the close, we have the one stock that started this whole social media meltdown, Snap. This thing got clubbed after the last quarter, and it's been down in the dumps ever since. Also, after the close, Mattel reports, and I like this one. They've consistently beaten the numbers. But then there's the opposite, Boston Beer, the parent of Sam Adams. I expect a weak quarter in declining hard seltzer numbers. They've done that now for the last, I don't know how many quarters. I would much rather own STZ, Constellation, as Corona, Modelo, and Pacifico are simply just a better set of brands. We own Constellation with the Child Trust, and we will compare quarters when we review Boston Beer the next day. Okay, here we go. Friday's incredibly consequential. It usually isn't during the summer. That's wrong this time. It starts with the American Express, which is just downgraded, but I think will do quite well because of all the small business and consumer spending, not to mention travel to Europe because of that strong dollar. I don't know where all the negatives are coming from. 
We also have Verizon in the morning. Now, the last quarter was widely panned, and I don't expect a repeat of it. If you want wireless still with some growth, that's T-Mobile. Verizon for value and ATT for nothing. Slumberger reports in the morning, too, and this oil service giant should report a very good number. Like Halliburton, you don't want to ever put your back on the table like that. I'm learning all this stuff. It's my, it's my 18th year in this stuff. I'm really starting to get it. Okay, Halliburton. Uh, is domestic. Schlumberger is international. We call it slob. That's what we do when we're downtown here where we are. Represents the best international service provider. Halliburton's strong domestically. Finally, there's lowly worm Twitter. If Twitter still reports on Friday, I wonder how much time they will spend talking about the lawsuit against their putative acquirer, Elon Musk. Hey, late last week, Musk lawyers answered the complaint Twitter tried to make uh, uh, for him. Yeah, remember, Twitter's trying to get him to, to buy the company want him to fulfill his end of the contract. I, I, I found his whole defense pretty flimsy. I continue to believe Musk will be forced to either buy Twitter or give them so much money that he might as well buy Twitter. Now, we have an amazing show for you tonight, discussing the biggest winner since we started the show 17 years ago. And then David Solomon, he's the CEO of Goldman Sachs, and finally one of my favorite people in the world, billionaire philanthropist, and in many ways someone who represents the best traditions of this hallowed ground, Ken Langone. I've known Ken for a long time, and his book, by the way, I Love Capitalism, is the standard gateway into business. You should read it. Bottom line, stay tuned. Hey, let's start with someone from my home state of Pennsylvania. Let's start with Ron in Pennsylvania. Ron. Hi, Jim. A big Bucks County booyah from New Hope. Well, you know that's where I'm from. New Hope. Oh, hey, Karen's from there. Terrific. What's going on? Hey, I'm an investing club member, and I love the new clubhouse on the New York Stock Exchange floor. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, I'm calling about a company that I'm not only a stockholder of, but a recent customer and know their product all too well. Uh, Earlier this year, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer and scheduled for a radical prostatectomy utilizing the Da Vinci robotic system. The surgery and recovery went extremely well, and I'm now in complete remission. Unfortunately, I can't say the things that Right. All right, well, let's talk about intuitive surgical. I mean, this was a once a great growth stock. It's now part of what I regard as being one of the hardest cohorts there is, which is the medical device cohort. Uh, it reports this week. I expect a good quarter, but you know what? The last quarter was good, and no one cared. So my take is it's uh, – a decent long-term story. It sells at 40 times earnings. Nobody likes 40 times earnings. New set, same mission. We've got a lot of stuff going on this week. We've checked it out. But how about today? May have money tonight. We're coming at you, well, obviously, from our new home. Does it look different? I think it looks different. And we're talking to billionaire Ken Langone to get his take on everything going on in the market and in life. Then when we started the show 17 years ago, the market looked a lot different than it does now. So we're tracking the best performers in the S&P 500 since Mad Money's inception. See who came out on top and how much money it could have made. And Goldman Sachs reported a strong set of numbers for the morning for the second quarter. I'm going to learn more about what drove the strength with the company's CEO, and I think you'll find it darn enlightening. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com 
or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Today we got a chance to talk shop with someone who's seen it all. Ken Langone, the billionaire investor who's the founder and chairman CEO of Invimed Associates. You probably know him as best the co-founder of Home Depot, or maybe as the philanthropist who's the chief benefactor of the NYU Langone Hospital System, as well as so many other charities that you don't even know about. Earlier today, we had a chance to catch up with him here at the New York Stock Exchange. Take a look. Ken, I'm honored that you are my first guest. This is where we live. This is capitalism. Yep. And I wanted you to talk about the constructive nature of capitalism and how what it is produced in our country, because you know it is the greatest force that we have. I agree. Not only us, but the world has. Capitalism brings about the opportunity for a better life for everybody. You look at industry today. You look at the opportunities for people to go to work, for up, to provide for their families. The thing I like to brag most about, about Home Depot, we have 3,000 kids that started working for us in our parking lots, entry level, that are today multimillionaires. 18 years old, they came to work for us. No college, no training, no nothing. Hard work, passion on their part, opportunity from us to them. My father was a plumber. My mother worked in a school cafeteria. Where else but in America, under a capitalistic system, could I be asked to be with one of the most noteworthy journalists in the country here in the, in the, in the harbor of capitalism? Now, I'm going to pivot a little bit because you have created uh, something that people don't realize. You have taken an institution, created NYU Langone, but you have taken an institution that was always good. It was always good. It was wonderful. But, but you made it the best. Okay. And what I need to know, for people who are trying to figure out how to fix a company, trying to judge a company, I think what you did at that hospital is every bit of what we should be looking for in a private company. How did you do it? Well, first of all, I applied the principles I applied to business to that. A great leader, a manager, Bob Grossman, the best. Here, Bob, here's the keys to the place. Get the job done. And then you do what you really need to do to get people motivated, right down to the newest employee with the most basic of jobs. You let them know they matter. You let them know they can make a difference. So the same principles we had at Home Depot, right. We have at NYU Langone Health. So the building staff people, the culinary care people, doctors, nurses, pediatricians, uh, patient care tech, everybody matters. Everybody has a purpose. I'll give you one story. We had a patient who had a heart transplant. He couldn't sleep because he was worried about having an artificial, a different heart. A building service fellow went into the room at 3 o'clock in the morning to clean out his pail. He saw the patient was awake and he said, how you doing? And the guy said, I'm worried. I have a new heart, and blah, blah, blah. The patient care, t- that fellow sat with him for 30 minutes. The next day, the patient was transferred from intensive care to a general room. 
the building service fellow went to see him every night. The man wrote me a letter telling me that the care he got from the building service associate was as important to him as the surgeon that did the transplant. Everybody matters, everybody can make a difference. Everybody matters. Now, and I think that there are a lot of people, Ken, who look at this street where I started, you know, and think that somehow we, and I'm gonna say someone who's done successfully, think that others don't matter. Everybody matters. Everybody matters, uh, but how, how have we failed in getting that across? What's, what's happening? Well, if you're my competitor, I hope you don't know it. But Gus, if you really can get everybody engaged in the mission, if you can get everybody to believe they can make a difference, not only they can make a difference, but they are the difference. That if you can let them know the three most powerful things in business, a kind word, a thoughtful gesture, and passion and enthusiasm for everything you're doing, everything. Last week we were picked number one hospital in New York, number three in America. It's incredible. Better than all that, today we're the number one neurological service in America and number one neurosurgery program in America. Those are big things. How do we do it? Reach out to get the best people. Who are the best people? People with passion, people with commitment and with dedication. Obviously, they gotta be talented as well. But when you get them with all those characteristics, turn them loose, let them go, and stay on the sideline and cheer them on. Are we able to get some of those people in government? I know that you've been critical, yeah, but you're not a critical guy. You've been constructive about some of the things that are happening in the country including you you were early on flagging inflation uh, about the Federal Reserve. And you know that Jay is doing his, Jay Powell's doing his best. But we need to have the same attitude in government that you just talked about now, both in charity, a hospital, and in business. The one end of our country that doesn't seem to exhibit these is government. Jim, unfortunately, politics has infected everything we do. Yes! Okay. To me, the Federal Reserve's position always should be prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Last year, Jim, we lost a whole year on this inflation fight. Yes, we did. We lost a whole year, and I, you go get your tapes from when I was on. Oh, you called Fox. it. You said it was not transitory. It's not, and I said more importantly, it's much more serious than we realize. Those people that sat on that board had more information than I did. Right. They had to see what I saw. And I'm afraid, Jim, that decision was driven by political considerations, not economic considerations. I'm sorry, the Fed last year, in my opinion, lost a good part of their credibility by not being more aggressive. And you would tell people, look, inflation erodes the working person. You and I are going to do okay. It's about the person who is not able to make, you know what levels of income get destroyed by inflation? Look, Jim, inflation, is the most severe of regressive taxes. A pound of chopped meat to me in the context of my net worth and my income is nothing. A pound of chopped meat to some poor fellow that's just starting here as a clerk, is a big percentage of his income. Okay? So Jim, the bottom line is, let's do what's right, let's not do what's politically correct. And that's my problem with government today. Across all parties, I'm passionately committed to Joe Manchin. Why? He has shown he thinks America deserves, deserves preference over politics. 
So he fought BB. Can you imagine what inflation would be if BBB had gone through? Oh, no, no. We would be, I'm not be saying it's Weimar, but we would be oh, in be there with some of the worst governments we know in the world. We, in would, the be, world. we would be Venezuela. Yeah. We would be we Argentina. Be. We would be Colombia. And that's where the middle class was destroyed. And Jim, who would get hurt the most by that are the little people. Right. Well, Ken, we got to stop now. Okay. I'm so glad you were here. Thanks for having me. This is a big deal for me. Well, it's a big deal for me, and congratulations. As I said, you've got this well-deserved recognition and promotion. I like the fact you wear a necktie. I'm old-fashioned. I put one on every day. By the way, today, American flag. And by the way, these cufflinks were given to me by Dick Grasso when I joined the board of the New York Stock Exchange. 22 years ago. So they have great meaning. And we proud. And that's we it. are proud. We and are don't, proud. Don't ever bet against America. Ever. ever. All right. Let's leave it at that. Ken Lingo, founder, chairman, CEO of Infinite Associates and so many other things. Home Depot, NYU Langone. But right. what he really is, is the American. Thank you. Coming up. What a long, mad journey it's been since Kramer began his relentless quest for the next bull market. A look back at the S&P's biggest winners of the Mad Money era, next. As excited as I am to shoot our new set here at the New York Stock Exchange, I'll admit that this is maybe not the best moment to make the move. You know I'm a stock guy, but this asset class is, come on, it's just absolutely just right now. Maybe the most hated it's been since the financial crisis or the dot-com collapse. Even after last Friday's rebound, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down more than 14% for the year. S&P down nearly 20%. Oh, tech-heavy Nasdaq off 27%. Don't even get me started. Today exemplified this market. A great opening, then a total thrashing, as word leaked that Apple may be slowing down hiring. To put it diplomatically, this is a discouraging market. I can't blame anyone for wanting to give up on the whole asset class here. After two years where it felt like stocks only ever went higher, the last eight months have been a nightmare, just a terrible nightmare. Almost nothing worked. It crushes optimism, makes you wonder why do we even bother with the market? Why not give up now, sir? Maybe circle back later. All good questions. Tonight's milestone shows you, uh, it kind of gives us an opportunity to get away from the daily grind of searching for the best ideas that can work in a tough environment and reflect on why we do what we do here at Mad Money. Now, look, I've been at this for more than 17 years with the show. Can you imagine 17 years? When we started, people would bet on how long it would take for me to keel over from a heart attack. <laughs> During the lightning round. <gasps> Somehow I'm still here. Show's got even a kind of a light patina of legitimacy, thanks to the New York Stock Exchange. But just during our 17 years of uh, on air, to say nothing of my 40-plus years in the industry, I've seen a lot of ugly markets like this one. The period from mid-2007 to March of 2009 was much worse than anything we're going through now. Keep in perspective, people. We actually lived through a financial crisis that wrecked most of our major banks and nearly brought down the entire economy. The only time I've ever said to sell everything was in October of 2008, around Dow 10,000. And even though that helped you sidestep a monster decline to Dow 6,500 in March of 2009, I still get a lot of hate mail for that. Now, I would do it again if you invest. Let's say you listen to me, okay? You could have sidestepped about a 40% decline. But that only matters if you got back in near the lows. If anyone got scared away from the market permanently, they missed out on one of the greatest bull markets in history. And those are the people who dislike my call. 
Of course, this is not 2009. Forget a financial crisis. We're simply dealing with a garden variety Fed mandated slowdown. They want a recession if it's necessary. It's not even on the same level as 2011, where our government considered defaulting on its debts for no good reason. And Europe was struggling with its own sovereign debt crisis. It's actually more like some of the other big sell-offs in between. Except inflation is going to force the feds to keep raising for a little bit here. Remember, though, in uh, late 2018, S&P 500 plunged 20% peak to trough. Straight line almost. It was very rough. It's kind of in line with what we experienced. I bring this up because in the 17 years we've been doing this show, despite many difficult periods, stocks are still up huge. Even after this year's pullback from March 14th of 2005, when we started, to today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 188%, total return of 341% when you include dividends. Over the same period, S&P 500 is up 217%, total return of 353%. And the doggy dog NASDAQ composite <laughs> is up a whopping 454%, total return closer to 558%, a lot better than T-Bell's. Actually, those are tremendous long-term gains, which are forgotten on days like today. And they're precisely the reason why we fight so hard to keep people interested in the market during difficult moments. Why there is an entertainment component. Because anyone who gives up will likely miss out on some incredible long-term gains. More importantly, those gains are gettable, people. That's why tonight I want to highlight the top 10 best performers of the SP 500 since Mad Money went on the air in 2005. Because there are some tremendous individual stocks here that, that just bucked the whole trend. And many of these were, frankly, easy to anticipate. Now, the best performer since 2005, amazing given how much pain it's caused, is Netflix, which, of course, reports tomorrow. Now, this is really interesting because it's up 13,969%. And that's after plunging from $700 last November to $191 today. Well, Netflix has failed by competition. This was an obvious winner when the company went all in, all in streaming video. It's a business that dominated for over a decade. Now, Apple, yes, the second best performer, up 10,106%. You know, we told you to own this, not trade it. Again, I think obvious. In 2005, I was recommending on the strength of the iPod. But then they came up with the iPhone, and the rest is history. Except today, when it got hit, now everyone hates it. What a fickle bunch of clowns these critics are. Montbonks, knaves. I'll call them whatever I want because I'm from Philadelphia. Number three is Regeneron, and that's up an amazing 9,700%. This is a tiny little speculative biotech. No products in 2005, but you know what? This one was gettable. You know why? Because CEO Len Schlafer was one of my first guests. I told you to buy it at $5, and thanks to its cholesterol, COVID, and most important, macular degeneration drugs, it's now at 5 5 it's now $586. Now, why I point this out is because I want people to realize that when you see a guest on our show, don't feel like it's just idle. Five to 586. I think that's a pretty darn good return. How about fourth is Monster Beverage? Now, this thing is up 8,275%. This was a juice company, Hanson. That's what it used to be called. They don't create the energy drink category. They got a vast swath of the population addicted to this stuff. Always a good business model. Fifth is Bookie Holdings, the old price line. It's beaten out its competitors in the online travel space. Bookie Holdings is now the de facto travel agent for anyone who wants to go anywhere. Again, it didn't take a genius to get behind Priceline in 2005. Now 7,782%. Six, NVIDIA, 
up 7,369%. Of course, everybody hates it now because it's been cut in half, but that's since 2005. And, and, and you know what? I still think it's got, it's got real mojo. You know, we used to believe in something called Moore's Law, that semiconductors would roughly double in power every two years. NVIDIA broke Moore's Law. CEO Jensen Wong figured out you can do things faster and better on graphics cards, and his chips are now essential to gaming, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and most important, high-performance computing. Again, NVIDIA was gettable if you watch the show. I mean, I named my dog after NVIDIA, for heaven's sake. Still, you might want to wait until after the quarter if you're so worried about maybe it's going to come down again. How about Amazon 7? Obvious, right? I mean, come on, use it every day, up 6,475%. And it was even better eight months ago. We knew they were taking over the retail world in 2005. But they've also taken over the cloud infrastructure space with Amazon Web Services. Number eight, Illumina, a little more obscure, up 4,868%. These guys make gene sequencing equipment. This group's been crushed lately. But this is essentially an arms dealer to the biotech industry. Not as obvious as Apple or Amazon, but there was nothing hidden about the rise of biotech in 2005. Ninth, okay, this was it. Monolithic power systems up 4,770%. It's a chip maker with a ton of exposure to modern cars. Think LiDAR, advanced driver assistance systems. Remember, these chips are in short supply. Finally, one that I don't know a soul who got, and almost everybody I talked to had to Google it. That's number 10 is Tyler Tech. It's an app that allows cities and towns to go digital. It's up 4,658% since 2005, even as the stock's fallen from 557 last November to 340 today. Wow. All right, here's the bottom line. Looking back on the last 17 years, these were a, there were a ton of huge obvious winners as long as you had the guts to stick with the market, not trade out of it because of days like today. And some obscure ones like Monolithic Power and Tyler Tech required lots of curiosity. Of course, you'd also be better off if you remember to ring the register on the way up because while bulls make money and bears make money, pigs, pigs eventually get slaughter let's go to chris in florida please chris jimmy chill chris the chill man in the country house. club aka digs in new york jimmy congratulations on your move to the nysc thank you i'm liking Jim. it a ton what's up <laughs> jimmy i'm long salesforce.com and with the lack of clarity in the macroeconomic environment the micro and stock specific risk Shouldn't I wait two more quarters for clarity before adding to my Salesforce position? Hey, okay, listen, man, I, even if I lose, no, even if I, I, I disagree with that. 20- Salesforce is really around 28 times earnings. Here's the problem with Salesforce. As we saw from IBM, it's got a lot of overseas exposure, and the dollar has been so strong that we have to hope by the time they report, which is not until August, that people realize, hey, wow, the dollar is too strong. And if that's the case, you're going to regret that you didn't buy it now. We own it for the Chapel Trust. In the last 17 years, there were tons of huge winners as long as you had the guts to stick with the market and not flit out of it like a lot of the clowns who attacked me today on Twitter. I love you. You're clowns like Bozo or maybe Krusty. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the CEO of my alma mater, Goldman Sachs. And reporting a real good second quarter. I'm going to dig in the numbers with the company's top brass. Then we're kicking off our new home at the New York Stock Exchange by reflecting back on what kind of monumental day this really means for us. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. This morning, we got a surprisingly good quarter from my old alma mater, Goldman Sachs. I say it's surprising because this was supposed to be a rough environment for the investment banks. 
Turns out they're doing pretty well. And I think the stock is incredibly enticing at this level. But don't take it from me. Earlier today, we got a chance to speak with David Solomon. He's the chairman and CEO of Goldman Sachs. Why don't you take a look? David, in a time of tremendous market turmoil, Goldman Sachs had an unbelievable quarter. Explain the pieces that made that happen. Well, first, Jim, it's great to be with you. And I want to congratulate you on the movement of your show uh, to the stock exchange, which is super exciting. I really wish I could be there with you um, in person. uh, But unfortunately, uh, just not in New York this evening. But uh, but a big congrats to you. You're very kind. Well, absolutely. It was it, it's it's a complicated. I said this on the earnings call. It's a complicated and uncertain period of time. There's a lot of uncertainty in the macro environment, but we've been working on the evolution of Goldman Sachs, strengthening our existing core businesses that everyone knows so well: our investment banking franchise, our global markets franchise, making sure we're extremely client-centric, growing our um, our wallet shares in those businesses. But we've continued to invest and expand in other areas where we're bringing in more fee income. And that, I think, is just broadening the scope of the firm and making us you know, a little bit more resilient. And so while this was a challenging environment, I think our performance um, was, was, was strong considering the overall macro environment. Well, one thing you stressed to us when we, were, when we were at your office in February, you talked about being the trusted advisor and that you're not getting enough credit for that. It seems, again, when markets, you call it a good volatility or bad volatility, it really didn't matter. In the volatility, you go to Goldman Sachs. And that is even extends to trading. Uh, this, so the trusted advisor is something that I think deserves a higher P.E. Well, I, I think our business has always been about serving our clients, Jim. And one of the things this, this leadership team's really tried to do over the last four years is really amplify, um, you know, that message throughout the organization and make sure the whole organization is focused on the highest level of client service, taking a long-term view, really thinking about their needs, their interests. And when you do that, you do that consistently. If you take a long-term view and invest in those client relationships, I think good things happen and you gain market share, you gain wallet share. People want to work with you because they trust you and they think you're bringing a lot of value. And so we continue to be very focused on our clients, and, and I think it's paying dividends. You also emphasized that a lot of people felt that Goldman could not adjust if certain businesses didn't make a lot of money, that you would have a lot of so-called dead weight. Your expense headcount was extraordinary, and I think is something that could be long-lasting but also demonstrable of the new Goldman. Well, we, um, people, are, people are really, really important to, uh, to our business. They're really, really important to the ecosystem of Goldman Sachs. We're an incredibly privileged position where, where there's an enormous amount of interest in working at the firm, um, I, I, I know that right around today, we've got about 3,500 undergraduates starting their career at the firm. And those 35 undergraduates are chosen from over 300,000 applications for those jobs. And so we're always looking to add talent to the firm. You know, at the same point, um, we're going to you know, manage the growth of that going forward a little bit more cautiously, given the macro environment. But we've been investing in building our businesses and have been lucky to continue to attract great talent to the firm. Well, I got to tell you, I, I started about uh, right down the block, and I always felt it was the hardest job in the world to get. Now, there was a period where the Facebooks and the Googles were able to get people. They're not hiring anymore. They, they're not even replacing. But it sounds like the Goldman is back getting, or never really lost it. But, David, you are getting the cream of the crop. And the cream of the crop means that the people who are going to be uh, customers are going to find the best. And that's the way I remember Goldman. 
Well, we're, we're very focused on that, and, you know, it's, it's a constant for us. We've always got to be attracting super smart, super motivated young people into our organization, and some of them stay and build their careers here, but a lot of them go out and do very interesting things in the world and always feel an affiliation for the firm, and that's, that's part of what helps us be successful as we, uh, as we move forward in serving our clients. The diaspora is strong. Okay, so we got to give a nod to Lloyd Blankfein because the trading here really exceeded those of all other firms, made you a lot of money, and we certainly, while consumers great, David, we certainly got to give a nod to a division that has just made a ton of money for you, which is trading. The trading, the trading business has always been core to the firm, and it will always be core to the firm. Uh, what I'm what I'm really excited about, and and uh, you know feel really great about, is the, the the leadership group in that division has really invested over the last four years in our client relationships. They've had a very very targeted program of looking at the 100 most important clients in that business and making sure that our market share, our wallet share, and the feedback we get from those clients is on a positive trajectory and improving. And we've had real strides in the context of our wallet share with those top 100 clients, which really are the most significant institutions that we deal with in our market business. Sure, there are lots of others, but that top 100 is very important. So we've been committed to this business. I think it's one of the great things that, that Lloyd did. He was always steadfast in his commitment to this business. I'm steadfast in my commitment to this business. It served our clients well. We've got a great global footprint, and we're going to continue to make sure we're in a position to serve our clients across all markets. All right. So, David, the two things that were absent from the call are divisions I'm really looking at. Uh, Marcus, where you get just a great rate. And then um, Apple, they did not uh, pick you for the buy now, pay later. These are two initiatives that I feel are uh, really necessary in order to get P.E. expansion. Are, are they not as much part of the mosaic as before? No, they're, they're, they're equally part of the mosaic. I did get a call on the I did get a comment or a question on the earnings call about the growth of the consumer business and our, you know, commitment to it. The revenues for the quarter um, in the consumer business, um, I think, were, um, you know, were viewed positively. I talked about the fact that over the last five years, we've built this business from scratch. You know, we started with deposits and then loans and then this credit card platform, which I think is a really super technology platform. We've obviously added Invest, um, and now we've got Green Sky, and we've set out a revenue target of $4 billion in this business by 2024. And when we set that target earlier this year, we commented that the investment in the products that are necessary to meet that target is basically on the ground. And so we're making good progress. We're going to continue to make progress and focus on building what we think is a really excellent digital platform. Um, But we're pleased with the progress we're making, Jim. Well, do the customers want a digital platform? Are they interested in crypto? Or are they interested in the more extraneous fintech uh, aspects that it would not be the part of the Goldman that I worked at? Well, there, there, are, there are certainly people that are interested in those things, but we're trying in a very, very simple, transparent way to put forward terrific banking products, financial products, investment products, wealth products that are simple, straightforward, transparent, and integrated to make everybody's financial experience and financial wellness more stable. Um, and we'll, you know, the esoteric stuff or the more complex stuff um, is, uh, is left to, you know, to other niche players. What we're doing, Jim, is the stuff that people want. They want a good credit card. They want to understand what they've charged. They want to be able to pay it easily. If there's something wrong, they want to be able to get in touch with somebody very quickly, all on the phone, all digital. 
Um, that's an example of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to leave that space. All right. One last question. Uh, I was taken aback when you said inflation deeply entrenched. To me, that meant more than than 175 basis point, maybe even more than two. When it's deeply entrenched, it's not going to go away until maybe rates go high as four. You know, I my my you know, my words. So I know you're now putting them back to me. Um, I think what I was trying to say is there's inflation everywhere. And as I talk to CEOs that have big global supply chains, they're not seeing it level off yet. And so I'm not going to predict, you know, I think certainly we're going to see tighter monetary conditions to try to control that, but I'm not going to predict that that trajectory, Jim, but we're just trying to be nimble and in a position to support our clients as they navigate what obviously will be a period of tighter financial conditions in order to try to tame that inflation. Well, I know that uh, if it gets rocky and rough, that's when Goldman exceeds everyone. David Solomon, Chairman CEO, Goldman Sachs. David, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money on a very big day for us. I greatly appreciate that you found the time. Absolutely. I'm delighted to be with you, Jim. Wish I could be in person over at the exchange, but we'll do that sometime soon. All right. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skeet, that's our lightning round. It's over. Ross in Connecticut. Ross. How are you, Jim? Thanks for call- taking my call tonight. Jimmy uh, Chill says thank you. What's going on? I uh, I would like to get your opinion on Eversource Energy stock. I know uh, that- you know, look, it doesn't yield enough for me. I can go to – I spoke with uh, – with people from Duke last week. I think that's actually a better situation. Now I'm going to Richard in Florida. Richard! Richard! Hey, Jim, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing well. How about you? About the, oh, very well. Thank you very much. Calling about the stock Beyond Air. Do you think... I think that is the ultimate speculative stock of which you got to prepare to lose $8. It's an $8 stock. I don't like that. Paul in Texas. Paul! No, I'm not done. Come on. It's my first day here. Paul! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Paul. Is, is my stock a buy? Nutrien, NTR. No, no, it's not. It's a fertilizer stock with four times earnings. So they earnings rate to collapse. I, I, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, it's day one of a new era. Kramer renews his promise to help you take control of your financial future. Next. Go down three buildings from here. You'll see where I first interviewed for Goldman Sachs 40 years ago. It's where I fell in love with this street, Wall Street. That's why it's so exciting to be back here. And why I'm so grateful to the New York Stock Exchange for letting us film back here. Things have changed since I first worked here, mostly for the better. We used to act like we only cared about one thing, making money. Although it was actually a little more complicated than that. I know that because when I was at Goldman, my mother was stricken with kidney cancer and there was no hope for her at all. My boss, Richard Menchel, came to see me and he said he'd heard about my mom. And he said she knew she didn't have long to live. So he said to me, go home, go home to Philly and spend some time with her. I thanked him for letting me have a couple of days off to go to Philly. He said I was missing the entire point. He said I had to go home until she passed, that I was to make her happy for the rest of her time on Earth. And so I did. 
Since then, much has changed about this place, this engine of capitalism. It's become more inclusive, more open-minded, more concerned about the environment. doesn't matter how much money we make. It's, everything's below sea level. Wall Street is like my friend Ken Langone said. It's the way people can do good and do well at the same time. Now, I know some may consider my view hokey. I consider it hopeful. This is a great time for our team at Mad Money and our network, and we're now able to see and talk to as many people as we want to, as it's now much easier to have good discussion, not just about earnings, but about ideas, about leadership. I hope it'll lead to a better show for you. When I worked in Wall Street, I always knew the customer was, and I worked as diligently as I could to help them make money. It's been 17 years, but I know this. You are the customer. You watching me. You are the client. And the venue may have changed, but I think it's changed for the better. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'm trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.